0: In an uncharacteristically candid assessment of North Korea's economy, leader Kim Jong-un recently told ruling party leaders that they face a, quote, unexpected and inevitable challenge in various aspects, and his development goals have also been seriously delayed. Dealing with the uh, recent uh, coronavirus pandemic and floods, on top of international sanctions, Pyongyang risks the worst economic contraction this year since the Great Famine of 1997. Uh, According to market research provider Fitch Solutions. So for further discussion on this, we are pleased to be joined by the Senior Research Fellow for Northeast Asia in the Asian Studies Center of the Heritage Foundation, Bruce Klingner, on the line. Hello. Hey, Henry, how are you? Long time no talk, Bruce. I hope uh, things happen well uh, and uh, you have been uh, staying safe and sound uh, over there in the U.S.?
1: Yeah, we're all just sort of hunkered down. We're now in the fifth month of working from home, which is, has its benefits and
0: drawbacks. <laughs> Right. And uh, we know that uh, the pandemic has certainly uh, affected and devastated uh, um, all parts of the world. Uh, What we don't have a clear picture of is how it has affected North Korea. And so uh, hopefully we can talk about that a little bit here. But um, the title of your latest report, Bruce, in the the Heritage Foundation is North Korea facing perfect storm of economic stressors. Um, Could you maybe uh, relay a little bit of that to our listeners, what you mean by the uh, perfect storm?
1: Right. Well, it's a, it's a reference to a, a, a book and a movie where you know, a poor ship, a fishing ship was facing the, the combination of a number of storms hitting it all at once, making it really a right. unbelievably dire consequences. So, as you pointed out, right now North Korea is facing sort of this trifecta of economic uh, impact from the, the existing sanctions, although imperfect uh, implementation of them and enforcement. Uh, then the self-imposed trade restrictions that they, they did upon themselves in response to COVID. And then these monsoon rains, which has led to not only rain flooding, but also surging uh, seawater, damaging some of the farmlands.
0: In terms of what they had to do, and, and we do, I, I would say just from outside looking in, we probably understand this strategy. They do not have the uh, health care infrastructure uh, by any means to be able to handle any sort of major outbreak. So they did essentially uh, what uh, Italy uh, probably should have done a little early, which was a complete shutdown of their borders. How has that uh, border shutdown, which we have seen, uh, especially on the Chinese side, uh, since the uh, the South Korean side is uh, um, eternally shut down, how has that impacted its economy?
1: It certainly had a, a major impact because they uh, they cut off trade with, with China, which accounts for 90 percent or more of their foreign trade. Uh, they were even uh, curtailing the state-run uh, smuggling that they had been, uh, the regime had been doing to try to bypass the sanctions enforcement. So, you know, it was uh, on the one hand a, a COVID response measure to try to prevent it taking root in the country, but certainly at a, at a cost of impacting the economy. And and that's sort of a trade-off that really every country in the world has has faced. Uh, When we heard of COVID starting in China and Northeast China, you know, we had thought that it really might go like wildfire Mm. in North Korea, as you point out, very poor health care systems there uh, and really an emaciated, very vulnerable population. Um, And yet, you know, we we have reports that there have been deaths and, and cases of COVID, certainly more than the one case that they admitted to. But, you know, not as bad as one might have expected given the vulnerability of both the healthcare uh, system and the population.
0: Right. I think what we have to do, Bruce, because the the connection that we have between us um, sort of kind of breaking in and out. And so I think uh, what our staff is going to do is try to reconnect with you again and hopefully uh, get a stronger connection on the line and and just uh, uh, touch base with you in about 30 seconds, okay? Okay. Okay. Great. So uh, we are talking to uh, Bruce Klinger of the Heritage Foundation, and uh, he had a recent uh, report uh, published North Korea facing perfect storm for economic stressors he was explaining uh, sort of the trifecta of uh, what that entails and how they have of course a sanctions regime in place they've had this uh, uh, pandemic to deal with and of course uh, the floods that have uh, damaged south korea we can uh, assume the the damage in north korea is uh, just as bad if not worse and so uh, we're talking about right now perhaps a situation in north korea uh, that is uh, potentially as dire as uh, what uh, many people uh, especially north korea watchers know uh, very well in the late 90s a great famine that uh, devastated uh, the economy under then north korean uh, leader kim jong-il i think we have the uh, connection to uh, bruce set up once again hello hi henry hopefully this sounds better oh yeah this sounds this sounds great thank you very much okay um when we talk about then uh, COVID nineteen and the coronavirus, and and we see how it's affected countries like South Korea or Europe or or the United States, and we know that these uh, various governments have their own uh, various policies to try to to combat that. Uh, you, you mentioned how it does not feel like uh, the the pandemic has affected North Korea uh, as, as per, perhaps as um, uh, severely as may have been. Expected. Obviously, we're not epidemiologists here, so we can't um, necessarily do our best Anthony Fauci uh, impersonation. But do we actually have any, um, whether it's through uh, anecdotal accounts or even just uh, from people uh, who may have some idea, um, empirically speaking, of how uh, bad the situation is there? Because they do seem to not acknowledge that they have even had one single infection. But the idea that uh, there are uh, anecdotes of uh, widespread quarantine and stay-at-home orders uh, seems to indicate that uh, there has been some infections that have taken place.
1: Right. I I think the world was certainly skeptical when they, you know, claimed that they had no cases whatsoever. And, um, you know, now with the border shutdown, I think it's even harder to get information from North Korea. Uh, But we we heard from sources uh, in the country that, you know, there were uh, soldiers were dying, there were hundreds, perhaps thousands of cases. Uh, that case, uh, the, we know that uh, the government announced that Kaesong was shut down for a while. There were increasing uh, restrictions on travel in and out of Pyongyang, and some other towns were, were shut down. So certainly, they have taken very strong uh, quarantine measures. Um, and so recently, the regime sort of said that uh, you know a North Korean defector who redefected into North Korea from South Korea recently, you know, was infected. And that may have been the singular case that the regime admitted to, which is a way of providing excuse for any previous or forthcoming uh, admissions of cases. So uh, certainly we don't think the regime is being forthcoming, but, um, you know, we don't have uh, indications of sort of massive deaths. Uh, You know, months ago, there were reports of satellite imagery showing mass graves being dug in Iran, et cetera. We don't seem to see that in, in North Korea, at least so far.
0: Uh, i've had the pleasure of interviewing for you uh, for well over a decade uh, it is amazing how in the year 2020 um, uh, even uh, now um, there are some very uh, similar themes that abound as far as uh, flood damages but also with this uh, chronic food shortage and malnutrition that uh, is evidenced in north korea by various uh, groups who work there and also of course uh, a- anecdotal accounts right now as it stands what is the extent of the uh, recent flood damages and the idea of famine or malnutrition in North Korea as assessed in your report?
1: Right. Well, North Korea even admitted uh, you know, perhaps 100,000 acres of the rice fields have been flooded. Um, there were non-government sources indicating that 30 to 40 percent of the, the terraced fields and farmland um, in some of the, the agricultural heartland of North Korea had been flooded, and that's uh, you know, damaging the crop you know, at sort of a vulnerable time. Uh, on the coast there has, seawater has surged because of monsoons into the into the rice fields which also damages it so you know right now the it's the this gro- moving towards the autumn harvest which is the most critically important hmm. for North Korea and that sort of tides them over until the spring harvest, which is never as large as the winter harvest so they could be quite vulnerable to a, a great shortcoming in their grain production this year
0: are these um Comparisons that we're hearing, comparing it to the '90s, the late '90s famine, is that a little bit hyperbolic, or do you think they're, they're, it is actually pretty realistic?
1: Well, we always have to be a little careful when we hear comparisons to that, um, you know. But that that said, last year the United Nations estimated that 10 million uh, of 25 million North Korea's Koreans suffered severe food shortages. Uh, the UN assessed that last year was the worst harvest in 10 years, and this year maybe uh, even worse than that. Uh, The regime has ordered people to conserve food amidst rising fears of a famine. Uh, There have been reports of food rationing in Pyongyang, even in the capital city of Pyongyang. Mm. So uh, it's too early to say how bad it will be, but uh, there there could be indications that uh, with a very uh, poor harvest that things could be perhaps as dire as in the nineties or, or, uh, you know, perhaps not as bad, but you know, then that could trigger international responses yeah. to to provide aid to try to prevent a resurgence of the great famine.
0: Right, and that kind of leads us to the next question here. And again, uh, over the decade that we've uh, been able to speak with each other, you have uh, uh, talked about uh, uh, numerous times about how getting aid to North Korea is a challenge, especially uh, for these NGOs that work there, uh, because of the fact that uh, the the goal is of course, to to get it to the people who need it the most, but that often uh, does not happen, especially if it's filtered through uh, the ruling elites and uh, they get their piece of the pie. How is what is the best strategy to approach this, both for uh, Washington and Seoul's perspective, uh, in light of the fact that we know that there is a big election coming up on November 3rd in the U.S., and uh, we can obviously see that uh, denuclearization and any engagement with uh, Pyongyang is not going to be a priority for the Trump administration as he tries to win re-election. But at the same time, these humanitarian needs seem to be pretty severe. Um, uh, is there a way we can thread that needle?
1: Well, it, you know, humanitarian assistance has always been a bit contentious with with North Korea. On, on the one hand, people argue that a hungry mouth knows no politics, and that you have to ignore politics and feed, you know, a, a starving population, especially when you see very heartrending, you mm. know, images of starving children. You know, on the other hand, we know from history that uh, the regime has diverted aid, you know, to the military uh, that was coming from NGOs. Uh, and and foreign governments. Uh, And also, aid is fungible. If if you provide $10 of aid, then that's $10 that the regime frees up to spend on their nuclear program. So I think what we have to do is distinguish between sort of near-term, immediate humanitarian assistance uh, for the population, and you have to insist on very strong uh, verification measures, and distinguish that from large-scale food aid uh, long-term as well as developmental assistance you know and those things you do have to tie to progress in the denuclearization talks but more of a an immediate covid response flood response uh, some immediate uh, food assistance but you know when north korea has refused to implement the economic changes that would reduce the likelihood that next year, once again, as for 20 years or so, they be, will be asking for food, you know, then th- that's the systemic problem of the, the regime's economic policy. So you know, near-term humanitarian assistance, I think you, we should do what we can to, to assist the, the regime, but large-scale assistance, large-scale um, food aid, uh, that, that you have to link to progress on other issues.
0: All right. Uh, We're going to leave it there. Uh, Bruce Kleiner. as always, a pleasure to talk to you and uh, really good to touch base with you once again. Hopefully, um, going forward, uh, we can uh, uh, get in contact with you uh, more often.
1: Sure. I look forward to it.
0: All right. Thank you very much. That was Bruce Klingner. He is the uh, Senior Research Fellow for Northeast Asia at the Heritage Foundation's Asian Studies Center. Uh, We are going to move on to the second hour of the program. We've got a lot more in store for you, including uh, sports and this week in quotes coming up later on after a word from Traffic and Weather.